If you enjoy this podcast, would you mind leaving us a review? This is how others find our podcast. Welcome back to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, a weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. I'm Jessica Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey, Dr. Ken. Jessica, how are you doing? I'm good. I've been reading, and I had an article I wanted to share with you. Yes, you, an article that changed our topic today. Like, it did, yeah. yes. it's uh, It was in the New York Times. It's called Today's Teenagers Anxious About Their Futures and Disillusioned by Politicians. It was by Claire Kane Miller. And she was essentially saying um, that the current generation of young Americans feel particularly apprehensive and anxious about their lives, disillusioned about the direction of the country, and pessimistic about their futures. And she had interviewed... Uh, it was actually a poll by Common Sense Media. She talked a lot about it, and it was respondents were ages 12 to 17. So right in the middle of what we really talk about, and that's, that's teenagers right. and that's their right. families. So um, did you did you get a chance to check I that did. out? I did. And of course, I, just looking at the title, my first thought was, oh, great. Another article about the crisis of our poor teenagers that are suffering mental health anxiety problems. It's just, they feel terrible. Um, Cause I know I'm going to end up taking the fallout of parents that come to my office, even more worried and more freaked out because now there's a whole generation in crisis and stuff. And it's like, okay, no, it's not quite that bad. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought, I thought it was interesting. The questions they asked these teenagers, did you? Yes. They asked a lot of questions about politics and how these kids felt about right. politics what do you, I'm sorry, maybe my house is different, but my kids don't know a whole lot about politics. No. What they do know is from TikTok or some other social media, Instagram, some social media post that they saw and spent two and a half seconds on and then think they have an opinion about. Am <laughs> That's I right? exactly right. It's that I can just picture, you know, some interviewer with a microphone to going up to teenagers and asking about their political beliefs. And do you trust today's political system and blah, blah. And I know teenagers. And again, they are young adults, but they are very inexperienced young adults. And I know what they'll say. They all watched half of a YouTube. And so they know to say um, the environment and uh, bullying, uh, whatever. And no, we don't trust the political system. And, you know, number one, none of them have the ability to vote till they turn 18. And number two, the percentage of 18 year olds that actually vote are, are and knowledgeably involved is quite small. Now to mm-hmm. those parents listening, whose kids really involve themselves and are knowledgeable, good for you. No one's saying that all teenagers are, are you know, ignorant. However, it is just to me weird that they would spend that much time interviewing that age group about things like that global, that, yeah, they, they, they're going to pretty much uh, parrot the party line of what they've heard lately. They're really not terribly experienced in these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Well, the party line of what they've heard lately and also generally the opposite of their parents. Am I right? <laughs> uh, that, well, you know, that used to be more true than it is now. Uh, you could definitely, when I went to the University of Texas, there was always a table 
uh, these tables out in the quad there. And, and there was always the young socialist party and all these things. And you could just see uh, all these kids of, of conservative parents, uh, you know, being themselves by being, uh, you know, what their parents are not. Now it's mm -hmm. not as easy to spot because there's a whole bunch of teenagers that are just kind of nothing. They're not really thinking about what they're thinking. They're just kind of doing and they're mm -hmm. not pushing back, you know, like they used to, which I'm not sure is a great sign. So it's not as predictable as it used to be. Well, I think teenagers in general are pretty self-aware um, and absorbed, you know, for this period of their lives. And so looking outside to their communities and what their communities might need or what's going on in the world around them or keeping up with political current events is really asking a lot of them. They're worried about who they're going to sit with at lunch and whether or not that person is going to talk right. to them. That's right. Because that's so. the, that's the scope of their lives, right? So, so right. the the article that you sent me um, reminds me really immediately of another article that was in the Atlantic, and I think it was in December, called "How Anxiety Became Content," um, and that article. And we'll post a link to this, but that article I thought was fascinating because it talked about essentially how you know at the same time that we are. Uh, taking the stigma away from mental health struggles and suicidal thoughts and things, it's now okay to talk about it. And, you know, the the obvious assumption is that's going to make things better for young people because they can now talk about it and get the help they need and whatever. But if you really look at the data, the more that we have talked about, especially social media is the big thing, the rates of mental health struggles reported anyway are going up, not down. Uh, and suicidal thoughts are going up and not down, which is not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be more aware, therefore getting more help for those things we need. And then it goes down. What we're seeing, however, is something different, which is um, you keep talking about it, especially in a social media setting. These aren't intimate conversations with the people that know each other. It's a hashtag, you know, hashtag anxiety disorder, hashtag whatever that you end up with a kind of uh, emotional hypochondriac. You know, it's like mm. I, I'm, I'm looking at what could be probably pretty standard anxious feelings, but my social media feed says that it, that I might have a disorder. And, mm -hmm. and that actually kind of creates the very thing it's trying to, to treat. And I thought that was quite relevant among the teenagers that I see that, that it has been, uh, yeah, the stigma's gone, but there's actually a weird amount of self-diagnosing that's just wrong. Uh, kids that will come and tell me, "Well, my girlfriend has OCD, but I'm, I'm I'm bipolar," and I, you know, and I'm like, "Well, which doctors have sent the give you these diagnoses?" Well, I haven't seen a doctor yet, but basically, their TikTok feed told them that or whatever. So it actually has, uh, in many ways, by suggestion, created a generation of anxiety uh, in more ways than it's helped uh, a lot of times. And it's a, it's important for parents to know that. I think it's interesting coming from you, a psychologist, saying maybe we don't need to talk about it quite so much or act like it's quite right. as big of a deal <laughs> yes. because you deal with mental health every day. <laughs> so true. Yeah. What shrink is going to go, well, just don't say anything. Well, no, no. But it, it's a very good point. But I think it has a lot more to do with not just that it's being talked about, but in what forum. And social media is the worst. There's two researchers, Lucy folks and Jack Andrews, that coined the term prevalence inflation. 
And that to them, this is when young people consume so much information about anxiety disorders that they begin to process normal problems of living as signs of a decline in mental health. I've seen that very thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think it, it, it only adds to, so I'm not saying don't talk about it, but I am saying um, I would be very careful in what context it's being talked about and be aware, like we were saying, that a lot of teenagers that I think were in interviewed in the New York Times art, article are getting their information from half a TikTok video they watched yesterday. And it's not actually the same thing as real experience in life. Okay. So tell me again what you called it. You said something about it being like a mental health hypochondriac. Yeah. I, I would call it almost emotional hypochondria. Yeah. Emotion. I've never heard that yeah. term, but I just... I, just I think that it. is a kind of a great term because I do think even even as adults, even having conversations with my friends, we're kind of self-diagnosing or diagnosing other people, yes. you know, in our our families, et cetera, about, you know, well, I think they're kind of this or that. And and that's not necessarily a good thing to label everyone or to put yourself into a box on some of these issues well, when you really haven't been diagnosed as that. Yeah. It kind of makes you feel like, oh, this is all related to my anxiety. Well, maybe you have anxiety about one thing, but it's right. not about an entire life of anxiety, you know? And, and to be clear, labeling, you know, a lot of times parents worry, I, I don't want my kid to be labeled ADD. Well, labeling isn't the problem. It's inaccurate labeling. That's the problem mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. kids will, if they can experience this thing, they will name it or someone will tell them, but they usually name it the wrong thing. You're just stupid or you're weird or that's not the right label, but a proper label is helpful, but Mm -hmm. over labeling is a different thing altogether that, you know, um, you know, I worry a great deal about young um, teenage girls that really experience what we would currently call body dysmorphia, like great, great discomfort with her body. Uh, and, and it's weird to me to think about how many of those girls do not realize that all the women on the planet could tell her, Oh, Oh honey, I know. Oh, I felt much of that. Like the, there's a normal level of what we would call body dysmorphia that virtually every teenage, especially girl I've known have all felt that they really don't like their body, but I don't Mm -hmm. think they realize that that's for many of them, not as uh, unusual an experience as they think, uh, mm-hmm. because they're just getting it, you know, kind of fed to them through the internet instead of really talking to someone who knows them or even a professional about it. They just kind of throw it out themselves. So it's it's a kind of um, over uh, experience of your inner experience, which, like you said, yeah, that's weird to think about coming from a psychologist, and especially one that uh, advocates respecting teenagers as young adults. Believe it or not, I think this actually fits that same mold. Okay. So are you telling me just in summary that you don't really believe all this uh, conversation about the mental health crisis going on with teenagers, particularly in the last 10 years with the rise of social media and the effect of you know, having a device in our hands and our kids' hands. And then also with a pandemic that we've just experienced and all the mental health you know, statistics and suicide rates that are going up and drug use rates that are going up, things like that. Do you, do you feel like it's not as big of a problem as they're saying, or do you feel like? That's a great way to put it. No, I am saying it's a big problem, mm-hmm. but I I think I'm saying that um, the source of the problem needs to be carefully looked at. 
-hmm. One of the sources is the prevalence inflation. How much has your teenager been reading about looking at TikTok has, has a kind of emotional disorder that they're assuming they have become almost popular. And that's a problem, but it's not the same problem as a true anxiety disorder, for example. And, mm -hmm. and the other one is um, we as parents, part of feeding the mouth parenting means that you, um, you really do treat teenagers with respect. So uh, you and I were talking earlier, you know, a lot of times parents need to know that teenagers are not at the very top rung of childhood. They are at the bottom rung of adulthood. Like, and, and so that means it's not actually wrong to um, uh, respectfully question your teenager's declarations online that, you know, our current political system is not, I don't think it's as bad as you think to actually go, okay, well, since you've never paid a tax, tell me, what is your thought on that? Where are you coming from to this conclusion? Because it's a kind of coddling of older children that can be done that makes them feel like your little opinion about stuff, as inexperienced as it is, is super important. Well, actually, among adults, it shouldn't be important. Uh, Jordan Peterson, the, the Canadian psychologist, sometimes gets in trouble for uh, one of his axioms, which is essentially before you criticize the world, make sure you clean your own room. Like if you're not managing your own life, you are not in a position to critique the world. And mm -hmm. I'm worried that what ends up happening is that teenagers are kind of playing grown up, um, talking like they're really concerned about global issues when, you know, just uh, posting something doesn't mean that you show real concern. And the other is, I think this anxiety, uh, if it's not just social media driven, it's also uh, because of an implied helplessness. I think teenagers that keep saying, you know, the world is, I'm, I'm worried about my future, the world isn't good, all that stuff. You know, what's really missing there is the uh, young adults um, idea, just ideal sense of their own capability. I can probably mm -hmm. fix this. I mm -hmm. can change the world. Uh, if we keep coddling teenagers uh, like their old children, they, I think, feel a kind of helplessness that only adds to their anxiety. And so, mm -hmm. you know, these are teenagers that don't make their own doctor's appointments. They don't manage their own money. Um, they don't, they're not allowed to make their own decisions regarding school choices. I mean, all that stuff of the over coddling actually increases their anxiety because it always implies Honey, you don't know what you're doing. I need to input and control this, everything. And that, I think, adds to their anxiety as well. Well, I think some of that stems from parents' own anxiety. Some of it stems yes. from parents, um, you know, wanting to baby their kids for way too long. And they end up really signaling, you aren't capable of handling this, whether it be dropping off the clothes at the dry cleaners or running to the bank or handling a, an issue at school with your teacher, you know, let me step in, let me help you with that implies that you're not capable. And then when they turn out to be 18 years old, they don't feel like they can make their way in the world because they've never even had to wash a load of laundry. That's, you know? that's right. That's exactly <laughs> so, right. So they feel, of course, they feel extreme anxiety because they don't know how to do anything or navigate their way in the world. They've only just been treated as if they're children all these years. And parents do it out of this sense of like, I want to take care of my kids and make sure they have this great childhood without the forward thinking idea that these kids need to be prepared 
uh, to step out and do their own thing at 18. That's, ex that's exactly right. And and all parents, I think, are, throughout history have been anxious for their children. But we have more and more of us that feel like my anxiety means I can and should really influence and, and control this, even teenagers' life. I can keep them safe from any difficulties. I can uh, and should uh, constantly teach all this stuff. It's an, it's, it's not just the anxiety. It's an overextension of what you think you can actually accomplish. And that's been historically parents have seen their limits by rebellious teenagers that push back and show them that you're not actually controlling me. If there's anything worse than that, it's this increasing percentage of young adults, teenagers that aren't pushing back. And, and are, like you say, almost buying into their parents' implied message of you are helpless and you, you need me to take care of all these things. And of course, they'll come out on their little social platforms with the world needs to change. The world isn't right uh, because they're missing that part of, you know what, I think I can change the world. I think I can do something to make a difference. Right. And I love that. I think some of that is instilling this... Um grit in our kids, this, you can do it. I believe that you have, um, influence here, whether it be among your friends or, you know, you see problem in the world and how are you going to participate and fix it? Whether it be getting involved in local government, whether it be being a doctor where you're caring for people right. with health needs, you know, whatever it is that you imply and tell your kid, you, you have a role to play here and it's an important one and they need, the world needs you. Clearly the world needs you. That's right. So if it's a real anxiety disorder, if it's mm -hmm. been diagnosed and you're really struggling with it, then yes, obviously deal with that. But if it's a more generalized, no one's diagnosed this, but my kid is really anxious and will treat it like it's a disorder and, and try to give fake messages of you're going to be fine and take care of everything for them. You're actually coddling and, and you run a great risk of making it worse. Okay. So as a parent, how do I respond when I notice my kid is really negative, say about politics, about their future, about the future of the world, about, um, you know, how far behind education is, all these topics that were discussed in these articles. When I see my kid playing this victim, everything is horrible. You know, I have no control. How do I talk to them without being just rebutted? I mean, I feel like they're going to be like, you don't understand. You're not me. You're not in my generation. Yeah, I think that's a great point that I wouldn't rebut that with um, no, no, things are good, you know, something like that. I think it really has more to do with uh, using, you know, planned emancipation kind of language would say, well, you know, if you were eight, I could understand why you're so fearful. But honey, you're 15 and, and you're intelligent. Um, what do you think? can be done about this. What are you going to do about this? The things that you're talking about need to be fixed. And that's when you will get pushback like uh, there's nothing that can be done and so forth. And I think it's important for parents to point out the implied helplessness of that. Uh, I, you know, In other words, I'm not saying that the problem you're telling me is not a big problem. What I am saying is, and apparently you don't agree with me, I think you and your friends can figure out ways to make this better uh, rather than, you know, you're talking like you're an eight-year-old. I always like using the judo flip of uh, no teenager likes to be told that you're talking uh, like a child. Uh, but the challenge is not to be hopeful and see it the way I see it. The challenge is, well, 
what what do you think you can do about it? Because sitting and just describing the problem implies that you are helpless and we don't think you're helpless. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I think that's great advice, Dr. Ken. This has been a great conversation. And I know that um, this is the kind of stuff that gets talked about over the dinner table, whether it be, you know, things that are going on at school where the kids feel helpless or they feel, you know, like the world is falling apart and they're going to be inheriting this awful place to live. But there are so many things that you're right. They do have a part to play and we can encourage them um, to see that they have a role in this and they have something that they can do about it. They're not helpless. So thank you, Dr. Ken. This was a fun conversation. Thank you for listening today. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com.